From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It is a Monday edition of Stand Up For The Truth, July 17 on the calendar. And welcoming our live listeners right now at q90fm.com slash listen. Uh, guest hosting today. My name is Andy Crash Connell. They call me Crash around here. And we got a very exciting show. Been waiting on this for a couple of weeks now. And back in our studio, live in studio, one of our local friends, a very good friend of mine. Is it Steve? <laughs> Stan. Scott Shera, ladies and gentlemen, back at the microphone. Good morning, Scott Shera. Well, good morning to you, Crash. Good to see you smiling, sir. And we're excited to have you in here because you have some updates, some exciting updates. We were praying on Friday. That could have gone any direction. It that could, could have gone any direction. It so could give have. us an update. What's what's going on with the Gray Shera lawsuit? Well, you're right. It could have gone any direction. But, you know, as Grace always would say, God's got this, Dad. And after it's over... God did it. Yes, it was uh, exciting. So it, it uh, went as good as we could possibly have imagined. To give people a little bit of backdrop relative to the lawsuit, yep, there right. was a motion to dismiss, and that motion to dismiss was based on two two things that they wanted to do. Number one is they wanted to combine the uh, claim that we have for intentional an intentional tort, which is lack of informed consent. They wanted to combine that with medical malpractice. And then the other motion to dismiss was related to our declaratory judgment for the illegal do not resuscitate order. And the judge um, has both of those now scheduled. And all of our claims are nothing was dismissed, so everything is now scheduled for trial. It's a three-week jury trial starting November 4th of 2024. That's a long time off. It's a long time off, but our legal team thinks we need that amount of time Good. to prepare. But you know what's what's nice about that is we have a stake in the ground, and then you work backwards Correct. to get prepared for for that date. And it, it's an important date. I want to drill down a couple of things relative to what their motion said, so that people can understand what's going on and how how these things happen. So I want to ask you first, and then you go: Is how was the support? How was the support? Because oh we put the word out there for yeah. you on our on our social media, and I know other avenues. But how was the support? It was better than we could have ever expected. The Good. courtroom was packed; every seat was full, and there were you know somewhere thirty to forty people standing. Awesome! And the judge allowed everybody in the courtroom, which was nice. Praise God! So it was it was full. All right, go ahead. So it, what I want to give is a little bit of backdrop. First of all, so people understand, we filed our lawsuit on April eleventh. The uh, hospital and then the five doctors, two nurses, had until May 15th to respond. And I'm going to cover their names a little bit later in the context of why is that important. But they had until May 15th to respond. One of the doctors, Dr. Uh, Murata's attorney, wrote 
what's called a motion to partial dismiss, and that's what I was referring to. Okay. In that motion, and this is this is very important for people to understand how this, these things work and what they try to do. So in that motion, they wrote specifically, the DNR order should be dismissed because the issue is not ripe for adjudication and or the issue is moot. Why? Because Grace Shera, the subject of the order, is deceased. So because Grace is dead, we shouldn't be able to talk about that. That was their premise for the motion. We are filing that motion because the Department of Safety and Professional Services went on record and said doctors in a hospital setting like Grace was in can write DNR orders on anybody without consent. So this issue is so important, it impacts every single person breathing in the state of Wisconsin. I don't think people realize what you're saying. Well, I really don't because uh, everybody that we share this with, they're going, you can't do that. It has nothing to do with politics or anything. Doctors can't do that. Oh, yeah, that's a They just can't do that. And, and they're going, so that didn't happen. <laughs> well, you're half right. <laughs> and and it, until people lose their faith in the medical system, they are not going to have their minds open to the fact that hospitals can do and do harm. That is the fact. Before COVID, hospital murders, I mean malpractice, was the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer. Now it's the number one cause of death in the United States. So it this is real stuff. Why do we keep promoting and going out and saying the same thing over and over? Because until people have their minds changed, they will not be prepared to protect themselves in a hospital setting. What and, should hospitals be used for, Crash? Well, is, I, I, I'm following you because what in our brain says that's where we go to get fixed or healed or whatever. That's where you go. That shouldn't even be on the table. Exactly. That's so unthinkable. Well, it shouldn't it, be it, on it the really table, is. but the reason it shouldn't be on the table is because that's God's job. What the hospital's job is is to uh, fix broken bones and to bandage wounds, but we have decided to turn our health over to the medical industrial complex, and the hospital systems are part of that. And until we wake up as a population to that fact, you can't protect yourself. But back to the original thought was, to me, the logic of it is that's as dumb as taking a murder case to to try to get it to jury, and they're saying, why does it matter who killed them or why they're dead? They're dead. So it's exactly. all moot. Exactly. That's what they're why, arguing. Why are you? Was. Yeah. The other Who cares if it was a gun or you know this person? It doesn't matter. They're dead. It's moot. Let's let's dismiss this case. Well, I, now that you you mentioned that, I want to go on that that rabbit trail for just a minute. So, if you witnessed a murder on the street, what would you do? Right. I mean, you would report it. That's what we are. And doing. Tell them what you saw. That is exactly what we are doing. Mm-hmm. And we're representing now, because we understand how big this is, we're representing 1.2 million families that this happened to during the 39-month COVID era. And this is, of course, way bigger than COVID. That's what I understand. That's what I researched and found out in the research. Yeah, historically, for a long time. The other argument in the motion to partial dismissed, this is, again, the wording of this really tells a story. And I'm quoting here, the legislature's 
purpose of enacting a statutory scheme to govern claims for damages arising out of alleged medical malpractice was to encourage health care providers to remain in Wisconsin by imposing certain limits on the causes of action that a patient and or her family can pursue and the types and the amount of damages that can be recovered. So in short, they're saying if we don't limit liability to doctors who do this, we won't get any of them to practice in our state. And they have it right right in their pleadings. So wrap your head around that. That Why not just be a good doctor? Why not just do what you're supposed to do? Why do you need liability protection? I own a business. Do I, I don't get liability protection. If I screw up, I have to make it right. And I remember in the early 2000s uh, when I was living in Texas, I heard this uh, news story on the radio, <clears throat> and it, it basically said they were trying to um, – uh, how, how do I, how do they put it? The state of Texas is trying to remove frivolous malpractice lawsuits, something like that. And back then I was in the health insurance business. I said, what does this mean? I had to do some investigating and they they were trying to get pr- pretty much that you just, just cause you feel like suing for malpractice, you can't. And this is back in the state of Texas in the early two thousands. And I said, this doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? And they're saying, because too many doctors are getting out of the business because of malpractice, and we can't afford to lose these doctors. So we're going to try to reduce, <clears throat> pardon me, try to reduce malpractice lawsuits. And back then, it was a top five killer, malpractice, because I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 medical accidents, it was like a top five reason why people were dying was medical accidents, which is kind of scary. Now you say it's number one? It's number one because COVID put it over the top. Before COVID, it was number three. Now it's number one because of all the additional murders that took place during the 39-month COVID period. It's hard, it's hard to wrap your head around that. So just to give you the specific numbers, the annual deaths for heart disease in the United States is 700,000. The annual cancer deaths are 600,000. Before COVID, the annual medical murder was 400,000. Well, now we have another 1.2 million in the last 39 months. That's on top of the regular medical malpractice killings. Uh, Scott Scherer is the guest today on Stand Up For The Truth. I'm Crash uh, at the at the host microphone. And uh, can we get into, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, are you, are you finished on this? I want to make sure you're finished on this topic before we move on. I think I am. I, okay. might, I might bounce back to it. You <laughs> okay, never know. Okay, go ahead. Uh, why are hospital murders acceptable in the U.S.? Why? How did this happen? Well, I think it is part of the second law of thermodynamics. And for those of you who don't understand what that is, is if you clean up your garage over a weekend and it's just nice, neat, and tidy, you'll notice that after several months it kind of just deteriorates. Well, that's what's happened with our government first. So just take our government. What should a government be responsible for? If you think through the basics that was in the original Constitution – it's very few things. Uh, we would think about borders, national defense. Now we have a road system, but that's about it. With medicine, they should be setting broken bones, bandaging open wounds. But what we did, we want our government to take care of everything for us. We want the medical mm-hmm. industrial complex to take care of everything for us. So now medical malpractice has become just an acceptable risk that people take. They don't realize what has happened, and it's time we've got to reclaim that ground crash. And the biblical model for governments is to protect us. 
That's all they're supposed to do is protect us. And um, I, I saw these in, in your notes. I thought it was fascinating. Hospital mortality de- decreases when doctors go on strike. This is a study that was done that took doctor strikes from 1976 to 2003 and analyzed them. And it showed that every time doctors went on strike, the mortality rate decreased. That's bizarre. I mean, that's hard to grasp, but it shows because the doctors are the only ones who can write the orders Mm -hmm. that are for med combinations like they did on Grace that will put the person to death. In fact, as you, you, um, Look at is that is that really what's happening? Well, you see a trend in the United States that that was lit on fire by Obamacare, which we'll cover here in a minute. But that trend now has led to there's not enough doctors who are doing this. So the state of Hawaii, the governor on June first in the state of Hawaii passed a law that nurses can now write orders for assisted suicide. <clears throat> okay. And uh, is this information on, on the on the website for people that need to catch up? Uh, GraceShera.com? Is it on It's there? not. Okay. This is brand new. I mean, all right. I, yeah, and I'm going to get there. Right, yeah. This is all brand new information. And you're hearing it first on Stand Up For The Truth. Uh, Scott Shera, GraceShera, S-C-H-A-R-A.com. That's the website I was talking about. So what is new? What's what's the latest information? You were on uh, with David Fiorozzo a couple of weeks ago. So what's new since then? Well, the thing that, that keeps happening, Crash, is... You know, all the information that's come in and it's like drinking out of a fire hose, but to, to mm-hmm. put it into the lane that we're in. Um, but then looking at it as this is really a spiritual battle. And what is interesting is that Satan is not hiding himself anymore. And one of the things that a follower sent me this last week I thought was phenomenal. The Freemasons, who are part of the satanic organization, they are chipping kids in Georgia. So this is, you know, they're, they're doing this in the guys that were doing good. You know, what happens if your kid is lost? And so they need to have this chip program that they've implemented in Georgia where they have now a DNA sample and it's, you know, it sounds good when you just read it. If you didn't know the Freemasons were behind it, you would think, well, this is good. But this is exactly how Satan has been deceiving us since the garden is a little bit of good with deception and it spoils the whole pot. And that's uh, anything else new that's just, just popped in? Because I know you get lots of information. I send you stuff and you, and I went, have you seen this? And you went, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to give the backdrop of, when I when I mentioned Obamacare first, but then I want to really dive into what happened since the public health emergency was declared over, because that's that's super important for people to understand that to protect themselves. A lot of people probably don't know that, but they it, it's it's in the news. It's just not they're not making a big deal about it. Well, they made it in the mainstream news because they wanted everybody to close that chapter and move on like life is normal, mm-hmm. and life is not normal. No. That's why we keep speaking out. Let's talk about something else kind of a thing. So Obamacare, I mentioned this last time when I was on with David, and I keep mentioning it again. And the reason is, Crash, you and I have one thing in common. We are dumb men, and we have to hear something over and over and over. So I'm going to... I think it's pretty normal for a lot of folks, yeah. Yeah, so this isn't for the women, what I'm talking about. I'm going (laughs) to repeat this just for us guys, because we don't get it. All right, so... 
Obamacare Section 1553, I've been repeating this now for a, about four to five weeks, and I want to repeat it again here, because this was where our federal government crossed the T's and dotted the I's to implement the euthanasia agenda, and Grace died as part of that euthanasia agenda. So Section 1553 is titled Prohibition Against Discrimination on Assisted Suicide, and it says specifically the government, quote, may not subject an individual or institutional health care entity to discrimination on the basis that that entity does not provide any health care item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or for the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. So we, as a country, we're outstanding at projecting our sin onto everybody else. So we look at those naughty Canadians with their medical assistance in dying program, the MAID program, and say, look at they shouldn't be doing that. But here we've been doing it since March 23rd, legally, March 23rd of 2010. It's hard to even grasp this, that the government put out in writing that they want to kill us by assisted suicide, euthanasia, and mercy killing. And if a doctor or hospital decides to not follow the Medicare, Medicaid protocols, which, by the way, cover all of us. The Medicare, Medicaid protocols, whether or not you're on those programs, they those protocols set the standard of care. So if, if a doctor or hospital does not want to follow the standard of care, they cannot be discriminated against. To take that full circle, subsection D of that section says if they are discriminated against, their appeal rights are to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. The Secretary of Health and Human Services is likely the most corrupt man in our whole bureaucracy. And we're going to cover that when we talk about how the public health emergency has been continued um, by the Health and Human Services Secretary. So that's the Obamacare piece. So then that being said... How do they possibly convince people to implement this? And I shared this also with David last time, is they, they do it by training documents. And the training documents are specific for every different population group. And we found the smoking gun relative to Grace's death, and it was from the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. And it's a training document written by two MDs to train doctors on how to deal with Down syndrome people. It first, it first lists about 50 problems that Down syndrome people have. And they're not bashful about it. They don't list anything good. I mean, Grace only brought good to our life and anybody that met her. She was the best thing that God gave us after salvation. So they list things. I'll just give you a couple. Osteoporosis, chronic constipation, congenital hip dislocation, blah, 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 blah. They just keep going on and on. Well, what's the reason? They set up, uh, they set this up so doctors have to come in on the white horse as a savior. So they write the lifelong toll on families is high. I mean, if you had, if you read just all those problems, you'd think, yeah, these families don't want their person with Down syndrome in their life. Part of a robust plan, I'm quoting again, part of the robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by health care providers. So they're gotta, they've gotta come in and take this Down syndrome person away from the family because they are nothing but problems. And this is crazy talk, but this is the training document. This document was written in July of 2011. But I talk as you know, for years, because I mentioned before on other shows that you've been on myself, uh, when uh, Katie, my wife, and I 
when uh, 15 years ago when she got pregnant with uh, Patrick, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, sonogram nurse or doctor, whatever it was, said to us, because of your age difference, they asked, first of all, do you want to know this, uh, the gender of the baby? We went, well, we want to be surprised, so don't tell us that. So um said, because of the age difference between me and my wife, we just want to let you know you can terminate the pregnancy. And I, I, and I wasn't even a believer then. I went, I, I don't understand. Why, why are we going through all of this? And back in the, I didn't have health insurance, so I'm paying cash. I'm in here to get through this pregnancy. What do you mean terminate it? She said, most people with, in your age, the child is born with Down syndrome. And I said, what does that got to do with anything? I really, and I was confused. I, and I was actually getting mad. And Katie's kind of like, you need to calm down. She's just doing her job. And I went, buddy, that is in getting a sonogram. We're here to learn, you know, is the baby healthy? Yeah. And and you're saying just, and she was like, I, it's just, I'm just giving you a notice. You can terminate the pregnancy. Yeah, Katie's it, comment that Because the odds are it will, well, do you, can you tell right now? Well, no. So you're talking about this was written in 2011. This was uh, 2006. Well, if this in Texas. Is, and this has been going on way before. You lived in Texas then? Yeah. Yeah, this has been going on way before 2006. Sure. And we're telling people right. this. Katie's saying they're just doing their job. This is how they set it up. It's called the banality of evil. Evil so common that we don't recognize it. So the young couple... Or the old couple in your case goes in and the doctor congratulates them on being pregnant. And what does the doctor do next? He schedules the amniocentesis. There's no purpose of that, but he schedules it. The young couple just obediently follows the white coat. We don't know. And then when the white coat says, we suspect your son has Down syndrome, I think we should abort. And they just obediently follow that white coat. 67% of Down syndrome Children are murdered in the womb in the United States today. By doctors. By doctors, exactly. In hospitals. That's correct. Not in an alley, not in a Planned Parenthood, in hospitals. And so what, or do you, I, I guess you don't know the motive, but it's interesting that just a couple of doctors got together and said, let's make a training document for Down syndrome patients. When this became, this becomes the standard of care, in the it says Wisconsin on you're this right, document, you're right. but that's because we're from Wisconsin. So this becomes a standard standard of care. So just getting back to that document, then they close up the document with. I'm going to quote another quote. This is this is the killing statement. It says, whenever possible, decision makers for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment. That's their judgment to make key palliative care decisions. All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. Well, that's, that's silly, Crash. Every, you and I know the, the, the desire of every single person with Down syndrome. They want to live just like you and me. So why, why would we give a doctor the authority to use substituted judgment? It's not the doctor's call anyway. It's the parent's call. That's that's right. Uh, and and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I was scared. I wasn't writing anything down like, give me some paperwork. To, I you will not terminate this pregnancy. I, I was I was really concerned. I'm going, I can can I stop them? Can I stop them from doing this? And I, like I said, the reason why Katie said that was because I was getting mad. 
Like, why would you even do that? Like, how it was kind of like one of those how dare yous. And so, uh, Scott Shera is our guest today from uh, com, And he just had his lawsuit. We talked about that earlier in the broadcast here on Stand Up for the Truth. And uh, thank you for uh, you all of you that are sharing this information because, like Scott said, it, it sometimes we just got to hear it over and over and over again. I believe we have enough time. Can we get into the public health emergency status? It's even worse now. How many minutes do we have before break? Uh, five minutes. We have five minutes. All right. Yeah, let's let's touch on that. We'll come back to it after break. Sure. So I'll set it up before the break. Most of us know that the public health emergency related to COVID-19 is over. That happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Congress passed a law on April 10th that President Biden signed that said it's over. Okay. I don't know how that can happen. Well, I guess it's a... I still, a see, like, still see people wearing masks, but okay. Well, but now they're wearing masks. Aren't they wearing the mask because of the Canadian fires? Uh, it's possible. Up until the I alert comes on their phone that says... The air quality is fine mask, yeah, at noon, so then you can take the mask off right at noon when the air quality alert ends, okay, right? Okay, right. <laughs> but I still see them. Yeah, I still see them, too, even before. In cars. That. Right, in cars, on bicycles. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones who really bought into the narrative. The public health emergency, they had to declare it's over because this is the sleight of hands. It's the same as a magician does. Um, right. With the left hand, they're doing one thing, so now... Everybody watch the left hand. Yep, while the right hand is doing, doing the doing next the tricks, thing. Right. And I'm going to tell you about the next thing that, that's happening relative to public health. So then on May 11th, the Health and Human Services Secretary officially ended the public health emergency related to COVID. But is it really over and the answer is no, it's not over. There's other public health emergencies that are still going on, for one. Whenever there's a public health emergency going on, it gives the Health and Human Services Secretary unilateral authority to implement policy without congressional oversight. And this is That's true. This is a mind blower. So interestingly, the public health emergency any public health emergency has to be re-upped every 90 days. So the first one relative to COVID was put in place January 31st of 2020. Every 90 days, the Health and Human, Service, her health and Human Services Secretary, first under Trump, then on, under Biden, kept re-upping it through May 11th, 2023. So just two months ago, that's when they let it expire. All right, so then what continued after that? What continued after it is even worse than the public health emergency. So there's a few different things I want to cover relative to what continued. And the first one I think we can cover before break. So is the first one is the liability exemption. So the PREP Act, which is the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, gives immunity from liability to the entire healthcare profession if they are following emergency use authorizations. Mm -hmm. So the PREP Act liability was extended. So what would be the reason that you extend that if the public health emergency is over? Well, the reason they extended it is because the FDA continued all of the emergency use authorizations, and I have an anecdotal story to prove it. Our son-in-law, his mom is in the hospital right now. She went in, she's dehydrated. What did they want to do? Put her on a ventilator. Why? 
emergency use authorization. Ventilators are still allowed under the emergency use authorization. So the government bonuses are continuing. There's absolutely would be no purpose. What is a government bonus? This is the, the first time that we ever became aware of government bonuses were under COVID. Right. So a hospital that followed protocols under emergency use authorizations was given a bonus to follow those protocols. An example in Grace's case is the first day in the hospital, October 7th, the COVID expert suggested to me that I, he said, I want to put Grace on toxilisumab. I had no idea. He didn't explain it to me, but I said, spell it. So I started looking it up. I look up toxilisumab. Mm-hmm. I share it with a doctor who's out on the outside, and we conclude, oh, this thing is no good. The placebo group did better than the control group. So one of his other doctors came in and asked, what is your decision? I said, we're not doing it. And I showed him the New England Journal of Medicine study that showed the placebo group did better than the, than the uh, control group. Mm-hmm. And he was mad at me. Well, I found out later on why he was mad. A Down syndrome lady who lost her life in Connecticut, the mom sent me her medical records. Toxilisumab, under emergency use authorization, is a $22,000 payday to the hospital for one dose. So that's what a bonus is. And I knew the answer. I just needed you to clarify that because we say bonus. They get cash for this. That's correct. They get cash for following following the protocols. So she goes in dehydrated, and I can tell you, because I've gone in from dehydration, the first thing they do is put an IV in you, not a ventilator, right? Diabetes, they do that. That's what you do. When you, when you, if you're dehydrated enough to go to the emergency room, they're going to put you on an IV, or they used to. Scott Shera is our guest from com, giving you the latest on what's going on in the uh, lawsuit and the stories behind it. Coming up here in two minutes on Stand Up For The Truth. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Live in studio today, Scott Scherer from graceshera.com. And uh, we left off uh, with uh, talking about the public health emergency status. We, you heard that it, was, it, was, it has been officially ended by the government. So we can all rest easy now. All good. The pandemic is over. No, it's not. Well, before we jump into the third leg of the stool on that, I looked at my phone while we were on break, and my beautiful wife and wonderful daughter both texted me, and they're right. They said, make sure, Dad, make sure, Scott, you mention ouramazinggrace.net. Why? The reason is is because that's where the lion's share of the research is at. So if you want to really dig deep into what's going on, I've posted uh, likely 70% of the research is already there. All of it would be on the news links because all the podcasts are posted there. So please go to ouramazinggrace.net also. And then I'm going to repeat because of our mission in repeating. Until people lose their faith in conventional medicine and open up their minds that hospitals can and will harm them, nothing is going to change. So I encourage everybody, dig Dig into what I'm saying. Don't believe it because I'm saying it. Dig into this information. Spend the time. See what's going on. We're going to cover 
informed consent after I cover this third leg of the stool, but I want you to first understand until your belief changes relative to trusting the white coats, nothing is going to change. I'm not saying, by saying that, I'm not saying all doctors and nurses are bad. That's not the point. I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and that staff knocked it out of the park. They saved my life. So this doesn't apply. You know, if you've got a good heart and you're a doctor and nurse, you already know that you're doing what's right. That's not what I'm calling out. I'm calling out those of you who are choosing to follow protocols without thinking or intentionally doing it. All right, so the third leg of the stool crash. This is maybe the most important. What happened during COVID was that the number of Americans on Medicare and Medicaid increased to 100 million. Before COVID, it was at 62 million. So now we have one-third of our population is on the government dole for health care. You mean aging into the system? Yeah. Well, no. That it, it, 38 million didn't age in in that time period. What they did was the government relaxed the rules. Oh. And they did this. So, oh, we're going to have you covered. Don't worry about it. We're, you know, don't worry about COVID. We've Invisible and seamless. We've got yeah, you gotcha. covered. All right. And so they purposely increased the number of people on Medicare and Medicaid. This is, it is super important for people to understand. They're using finances as the guys to implement these agendas before COVID. The 62 million Americans accounted for 39% of the annual federal budget. The bureaucracies for Medicare and Medicaid was 39% of our budget. Now it's over 50%. So the excuse that they were using before COVID is now on steroids. So process what's going to happen. 70% of people in the United States got the jab. The jab is already causing an increase in all-cause mortality. Cancer rates are going through the roof. So when the people who got the jab come into their doctor and the doctor says, okay, we did a blood sample, we did a tissue analysis, you've got cancer, they're never going to explain that you got cancer because of the jab, but what they do is immediately set the person up for the cure. And Mm -hmm. I'm putting cure in quotes because they – Next, we'll tell you we can schedule you for your radiation and or chemo treatment already next week. And what is the person programmed to say? Does my insurance cover it? Mm -hmm. And the doctor says the the good news is you're on Medicare, you're on Medicaid, and you're covered. And they just sign their death certificate. That's how big this is. So COVID, if you're awake, COVID simply exposed an agenda. That's what it did. And if you're not awake, you see it as over. And we keep telling the story over and over and over because we want people to wake up. So what you, are we rebutting the uh, HHS, HHS.gov? Uh, talking about the PrEP Act, is that what we're kind of doing here? Because you can't get the information there. Well, interestingly, you can get some information on HHS.gov. And same with NIH.gov. It, the a lot of the information is disclosed, and I think this is, you know, I've learned. Well, like you said earlier, you're pulling out the stops. Yeah, they're pulling out the stops, and part of Satan's way is we by we tacitly approve his methods by not digging in. So it seems like his contract with God is to post these things, 
<laughs> and our responsibility is to dig and find out what's going on. So, I mean, the things that I'm finding, it, it's all in the public. And it's up to us to find it. And we're finding it, of course, because now I've, I'm doing this full time. So you find it, you post it, you, you get it out so that we can help wake people up. Do you have any idea? Are you keeping clock on this? Uh, when, when people hear you talking about this, uh, it's not just something you're just spouting off. These aren't opinions. Last time, I remember you said, I think you said 400 hours of research. It's got to be, what, 800 hours that by now of research? Well, or? It's in the thousands now. Okay. Yeah, it's it's because it's... Well, this is this is now your new, right. uh, for all practical purposes, this is now your new mission. This is almost like, I would say it's a full-time job. I know it is. And so uh, the Bible reminds us here on Stand Up for the Truth that we are to test the spirits. We should question everything. And now... Uh, I've learned to even question myself, oh, my own beliefs. Do I need to reexamine my own beliefs and say, I used to do this, I used to think this. And like you said, <laughs> if you've been in the hospital before for dehydration and they say, we're going to put you on a ventilator going, something just doesn't feel right. And so I need to ask some questions. And I went in for a kidney stone and boy, was I asking a lot of questions. What are you putting into me? Let me see that. Let me see the papers. I want to know what you're putting into me. I didn't know what they were going to put into me for the kidney stone. So you got to be asking questions. All right. That's that's a good segue here on Stand Up for the Truth. Scott Sherr is our guest, OurAmazingGrace.net. You go, Jessica. OurAmazingGrace.net. Protecting yourself. Yes. Here's the hope part of the broadcast. This Scott, is, what are you doing? I know you're saving lives. You got people on your team that are saving lives. People have said to you, "You saved my life." Yeah, you're giving my get goosebumps when that comes up because we're standing on Genesis fifty twenty, and Genesis fifty twenty says, "What you intended for harm, God meant for good, the saving of many lives." And we see this as both physically and spiritually. The physical part is what we're going to go through next with the idea of informed consent and what does what is that about. The spiritual part is substantially more important than the than the physical part. I'll cover that that now just so people understand. So when you look at our lawsuit, you would think, well, what is the reason you sued the a hospital, the doctors, the nurses, and you know? So we uh, sued we sued Ascension Hospital System. Obvious, right? Even though Ascension Hospital, that's where is, the uh, that's where the murder Grace, took place, yeah. right? Uh, then we also sued Gavin Shokar, David Beck, Daniel Leonard, Carl Baum, Ramana Murata. Those are all the doctors. Holly McGinnis, a nurse, and Allison Barkholtz, a nurse. So what's the reason? Well, the reason is is because we want the entire world to understand that doctors and nurses cannot blame the hospital, they can't blame protocols, they can't blame the NIH. They all chose. Every single doctor and nurse has a choice. So Grace's lawsuit is paving the way as a national case so that other people can follow suit and all the doctors and nurses are on notice. But they are not our enemy. That's not what's going on here. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the one who orchestrated this whole medical industrial complex, our government has become a puppet in Satan's organization, and that Satan is the enemy, and we've got to keep our focus on that. All of these people should have consequences for the choice, but more importantly, if they repented, we won. So 
as we transition to informed consent, informed consent is about the idea of being prepared. So I'm going to walk you through informed consent, but before we even get there, I just want to walk through being prepared before you get to the hospital. So before you get to the hospital, you should have your medical power of attorney document and your medical directives document. Both of those documents are available under the medical rescues tab of ouramazinggrace.net. So I encourage people to look at those documents, be prepared before you get into the hospital. Realize there's never been a document written that can save your life. That's what we're going to talk about informed consent. Now you get to the hospital, and the first thing they do is they want you to sign a fake little pad Mm -hmm. with a fake little pen without reading everything. Because what they want to do is transfer your rights to your own health care to the doctor. That's what the purpose of that is. So do not do that. Get the printout. Make sure you read it. Cross off everything and initial where you are transferring your rights. Because you're, you're going to maintain your rights through informed consent and your medical directives document. All right, so now we're through the door. You're going to make sure that your medical directives document is on your chart, hopefully right on the front page, because everything that the medical directives document is a list of things that you're agreeing to and not agreeing to. So, for example, you're going to list no jabs, no DNR order, obvious. Mm -hmm. The forms that are on Grace's website are pre-printed with some suggestions, and there's place for you to fill in other situations. You know, we, Cindy and I, uh, rescued Robert Pazer. So mm-hmm. this is why I say the documents can't save your life. So Is that the young man in Chicago? No, he was in um, the hospital in Green Bay. He's the disabled okay. man in the hospital in Green Bay. And so we physically removed him from, from that hos- hospital. After we gave the doctor the medical directives form, the nurse came in 45 minutes later with the COVID flu jab. So oh, she didn't even read it. <laughs> correct. So you've, and this is why advocacy is critical. So the advocate is either going to be yourself or another person. If it's yourself, you have got to have your senses and be strong. A hospital is not the, the time, is not the place to play nice. It is the time to be firm with your intentions. And if you can't do it yourself, have an advocate or a professional advocate that is available to to make sure that your rights are not trampled on. So the document or the the doctrine of informed consent, where that comes from, I'm going to pull it up here, Crash, because I want to read it. So it comes from the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics Opinion 2.1.1, and it says specifically informed consent to medical treatment is fundamental in both ethics and law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so they can make well-considered decisions about care. That's logical. This is what they want to sign, sign, uh, they they want you to sign your rights away from when you sign into the hospital. So you don't want to give up that right. So you already have the right to informed consent. And the doctor has a responsibility to communicate this way to you, but they don't. All of us who have been in a hospital setting know what happened. You get in there, and they start taking over. And they may or may not even tell you what they did after the fact. They generally only tell you after the fact, what you know, like you just said with your kidney stone, what are you doing? Or with your, you know, anytime you, you ask, okay, what are you putting in my IV? Well, they generally aren't talking to you ahead of time. And this is where you have to take the stand personally. So you're in a hospital setting. 
it would be the equivalent of if you're going into a car dealership for the first time and buying a car, you don't just walk in and whatever the salesperson gives you, you pay for it. That wouldn't make any sense. You ask a lot of questions. That's what being informed is. These are two different words, informed or and Or anything. Right, with any, anything. With anything. But why do People we... People read labels at the grocery store. Absolutely. We're programmed to turn that common sense analyses over to the doctor when we get into a hospital. I was at a grocery store one time, and the lady and I were both looking at the labels at the same time. We started having conversations. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? It, she even reached out like, I don't know if I understand this. It, it, and I, I can see this happened for me at all, all my times that I've gone to the hospital was what they, they got. They, they, they caught on. This guy's not just going to lay down and play dead. I just asked questions every time. I will say that every time I've been to the hospital, only once have they said, have you had the COVID shot? Nobody. They, after a while, they go like, this guy's not falling for it because he's not even wearing a mask. Well, the, <laughs> you know, take, whatever. And take your grocery store example. If you, you're you in a grocery store and you have a question about the food product, if the produce manager or the meat manager won't, they refuse to ask your question. I don't have to do that, right. Then right. you would move on. Right. You would move on to a different grocery store. That's the same thing in a hospital setting. If we have a doctor who refuses to participate and engage, you fire that doctor. You have the right. You're renting that room. You're paying big money to rent that room. Yeah, right. You have that right, and the, the key is, and the responsibility that goes with that right. Don't just assume because you have the right that they're going to uh, be forthright in coaching you as to what to do. So now you take the time to get informed, which means ask a lot of questions. Don't worry that the, the doctor keeps looking at his watch. Take all the time you need to go through the pros, cons, alternatives, risks, advantages, benefits, and then take that information, make sure you have a relationship with somebody you trust on the outside, and start researching it, get it to the person on the outside, and then never, 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 unless it's an objective emergency situation, give your consent live. Take the time to process it, pray about it, inform consent, two words. You now you're informed. Take the time, process, make sure you are 100% comfortable with the decision, and then give the consent. And this is with everything. Start with the first thing they do with the IV. Set the stage that you are in charge of your health care, period. End of story. You are in charge of your health care. Don't ever turn that right over to the medical staff. There's other ways to protect yourself as well. I'm all ears. I mean, as you know, it, it, again, what are you doing in the meantime? Uh, as as I grow older, I, I grow concerned about a, a knee replacement. Okay, what does that look like? Get get the information ahead of time, being proactive. And again, Scott, what are we trying to do here? How many times has somebody said, what do you hope to accomplish with this? Because it's not going to bring your daughter back. What do you hope to accomplish with this? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, you know, the people who don't ask that, a lot of them I know are thinking it under their breath. But think through what we're doing. We're hoping to change beliefs. Why would a non-hunter own a gun? They own a gun because they believe they're responsible for their own safety. Correct? If they think the government is going to completely take care of them, they have nothing to worry about, well, they would never own a gun. But if you're a gun owner and you're a non-hunter, you have a belief that you're responsible for your own safety. 
I'm giving the comparable example with being prepared with informed consent, the documents. In order to seriously consider what I have to say, though, you have to change your belief. And that's what we're doing. If you change your belief, if you finally realize, oh my gosh, this is true, then you will do everything necessary to be protected. The best thing you can do, of course, is stay out of the hospital. But in the, in the times where you need to go to the hospital, you need to be prepared. There is a absolute agenda to take out especially to start with the disabled and elderly population because of the Medicare and Medicaid, like I talked about before. But when you understand that the agenda is written by the Center for Medicaid Services, the standards of care are written by them for the entire population, not just those under Medicare and Medicaid. And that's easily proven because you still see the jab being promoted by private organizations. So we go to a local pharmacy to get our ivermectin prescription refilled. On their voicemail, when you code in your prescription, they are still promoting the jab. My wife and I just checked it out just two days ago. They're still promoting the jab. You can hear some in some of the stores. You can hear it on the overhead uh, speakers. So why is that? You're free. Don't forget free. Yeah. What is what is the reason? That doesn't make any sense. The jab has been debunked over and over and over. Everybody knows it's a bioweapon if you're paying attention to anything. Yet they're still promoting it. Well, that's because their Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates are determined based on them towing the line. They have to tow the line, the government line. And the government line is not what we've been programmed to believe, that our government is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he's the only one who can help us. Our guest today is Scott Shera from OurAmazingGrace.net here on Stand Up for the Truth. Your documentary, we had Jeff Wagner on uh, the podcast a while back. It's available for viewing for free. Because a lot of things, I know some things that I, I, I really don't want to ask because I think people need to see that because you're touching on some of those like it is hard to believe that doctors are doing this for money and nurses are doing it for money. Uh, and their excuse is, I'm thinking of the Nuremberg trials because it didn't work for them, the Nuremberg trials. My, un- uh, my uncle was a translator at the Nuremberg trials and uh, I was following orders did not count. I was following protocols. They even they even uh, hung the uh, the uh, the journalist that were going along with the narrative. That's how serious it was. Everybody everybody played that part in what was going on back then, the Nuremberg trials. And here we are today. I saw over the weekend RFK Jr. getting all kinds of flack for calling it a bioweapon, just attacking him for saying it was a bioweapon. There is no proof of that. And they went, there is proof of all of this stuff. So even today, people are just not believing it because it's just too hard to believe. And when I was watching that documentary, what's the name of that documentary? It's called Breaking the Oath. And that is there's a, a direct link right on the front page of OurAmazingGrace.net. And I encourage everybody to watch that. And when you're referring to the Nuremberg Code, we have, of course, Vera Sherov, who I did a number of interviews with together. She was on this podcast with me uh, back almost probably nine months ago now. And she really frames everything in the right context because we are in a second Holocaust right now. And she does a fantastic job of framing that context in the brief. And she would know because she was in the first one. Yes, she was a Holocaust survivor. You know, the, you mentioned about the journalists being hung. 
So in federal, a federal court last week announced that the Biden administration can no longer influence the propaganda. And then, of course, that order got stayed mm-hmm. because they, that is the goal. They want to influence the mainstream media and all media with their propaganda. Thankfully, we have shows like this where you can still tell the truth. But the overwhelming majority of programs are influenced by the finances and the government. So when Big Pharma spends uh, spends $10 billion on ads, what do you think is going to happen? The people accept the money, and then they have to bow down to Big Pharma's agenda, which Big Pharma, of course, is an arm of the government. I was talking to my son the other day, a uh, 15-year-old son, and he's a big NASCAR fan. So he watches NASCAR, and he's, he was talking about, what is the narrative in America right now? I'm like, just watch NASCAR. Watch the commercials. What do you see? Pfizer, 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 Pfizer. They're everywhere. Pfizer just basically owns the media. And so it, it is not over with. And stand up for the truth. And praise God, you all, you all, let's promote your podcast. You have a podcast. Is it a daily or it's hourly? A week, <laughs> a week, it's a weekly. But I do want to say that confidentially I had a quite a, I'm not going to say who it was with, but last week I had a confidential conversation with a doctor in this movement. And he, he believes that the, the next bioweapon that's going to come out, and, and it would fit like a glove, is going to be a cancer vaccine. Mm. And so don't fall for it, folks. And it would make sense, right? Because cancer is going to be the next uh, scare top, tactic. Next yeah. scare tactic. Uh, so I would believe that that fits. Uh, my podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. It's deprogramming. A, deprogramming. Yes. And why? Because you know, I, I know God did not take Grace, but He allowed Grace to go home early. And so you you start processing what's the reason? You know, God's sovereign, mm-hmm. so He knew Grace's last day and how she was going to die before she was ever born. But what's the purpose? You know, we're still finding the purpose. But one of the purposes for me personally was to see how programmed I have been, and so that's why the name of the podcast is Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. And the collateral uh, sovereignty of that is your families had to learn, and your relatives. And it's been very costly, not just uh, financially, but, uh, you know, we've seen it in our family. It has divided the country and families. Yeah. You know, God is with us here, Crash. It has divided the countries. And I look at we're not doing anything close to perfect. So it isn't, thankfully, God's economy is not performance-based. It is he has called us to do something and it's our responsibility to walk through it and be faithful. You know, Caleb and Joshua knew God would give them the victory if they trusted in his promise. And they did get the victory. And I believe in what we're doing, God has opened up so many doors crash. I don't even keep track of them anymore. When I was tracking, I kept track of the first 60 doors and it just is over and over and over. And what he did for us on Friday, it was really a, a victory. And when you look in the rearview mirror, I can see all the victories, right? Or, yeah, but that's when, most how it is. But you don't see the blessings. When you're walking through yeah, it, it's right. tough. You know, Grace gave us that glimpse because she could see the blessings while she was walking through it, that childlike faith that she had, and it was fantastic. I see it in the rearview mirror, but you know, after Friday's hearing was over, yeah, I could just picture her because there was so many times where she would say, Dad, God did it. 
and he sure did. And if you want more information, if you're new to Stand Up For The Truth, you're new to what you're hearing right now, and you're just staring at the radio, it's all well put together at OurAmazingGrace.net. OurAmazingGrace.net. And praise God for the uh, victory on Friday, Scott. That was I was so blessed to see that. Oh, I, because the whole system, in my opinion, is corrupt. The judges, everything, all three branches of the government. So praise God, and the fight will continue. So uh, they can can they donate to the uh, foundation as well? They can on, at gracieera.com. We do have we're asking people to sign up because Jessica's providing regular updates. But there's also a donate link that goes to Grace's Gifts and Go. And I'm I'm sure it is uh, quite a financial burden. Scott Shera, thank you for coming in this morning. What thank a blessing you, you are to this uh, podcast. And you can check out the upcoming guest this week at stemfortheTruth.com, the upcoming link. Have a blessed Monday.